Well, in honor of Father's Day, I'm, I'm actually rocking the dinosaur uh, socks this uh, morning from my uh, grandson there, so uh, check those out there, some good things. Uh, we do want to say th- uh, thank you and how much we appreciate Dad, so all fathers in the room right now, we're just going to ask you to stand with us if you would. All dads, fathers, please stand if you would. What a good-looking group. Let's let these guys know how much we appreciate them and their leadership, and thank you for all that you do uh, in our families, in our community, in a church family. And, uh, this God has a, a very special place uh, and, a, and a plan for you and is working that through you. So thank you uh, for being a part of that. We want to dive back into our teaching from uh, 1 Peter as we're, we're seeking to, to learn how to uh, live uh, God's way in a world that often seems to be going every other way. And at some point, that comes down to a decision about whose will am I going to live for? Am I going to live for the will of God? It's been called uh, somewhat humorously uh, America's unofficial second national anthem. And while many uh, artists have recorded it through the years, uh, none has been so closely associated with this song as uh, Old Blue Eyes, Frank Sinatra. See if you can identify Does that not connect on some level with us as Americans, right? I did it my way. I I took the blows. I stood strong. I did it my way. And then there's something in that, those words that that, that resonate with it. It's something that connects even with our our kind of our DNA as as Americans particularly, that we we did it our way. And and we applaud that and we celebrate that. And and if folks talk about uh, making their choice and doing their way and all this, we kind of affirm that as a culture. And yet the struggle is when we come to Scripture, what we understand is that my way is not always the best way. It's not always the wisest way. It's not always the life-giving way. In fact, as Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. That there are times when my way seems so right to me and can even be affirmed by others, and yet it can be so wrong. It can be so far off base. What Peter is seeking to remind his readers, and by God's inspiration and preservation of his word, reminds us today is that there is another way to live. There is a a higher calling, if you will. And we can kind of summarize what he's going to be uh, teaching us in these uh, first few verses of chapter 4 with this statement. Because of who Jesus is, because what Jesus has done, and what is yet to come, we live for something greater and higher than my way. We live for the will of God. 
Now, let me, let me park on that for just a moment. Because of who Jesus is, because of the greatness of who God is, who Jesus Christ is, because of all that Jesus Christ has done for us through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, through the indwelling of his spirit, because of what is yet to come, we know that, that this life is, is a vapor no matter how many years we get. It's just a, a blip on the screen against the backdrop of eternity and what God has prepared for us. In light of all of that, we are called, we are empowered, we are capable of living for something greater and higher than simply my way. We can live for the will of God. And that's the calling upon every one of our lives. It is the will of our Heavenly Father for us. It would be the desire of every godly dad for his kids that they would not settle for their way, but they would live passionately for the will of God. And Peter in these verses kind of gives us kind of two major thoughts. How do we live for the will of God in the midst of suffering? And then how do we live for the will of God in the midst of the community or the body of Christ or in the church? And so I want you to look with me, if you would, uh, with uh, that beginning of of chapter 4. And to live for the will of God in the midst of suffering begins by becoming a person of resolve. By becoming a person of resolve. Look at verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. In light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and how he has suffered for us, uh, resolve, think differently. Think think in a way that I am going to arm myself as, as a warrior in a spiritual battle, recognizing that I have to make a decision to live differently, that I no longer have to live as a captive to sin. I no longer have to live dominated by sin, but I am set free by Christ. I can be dominated by his spirit. And so I begin to to set my thinking, God, I want to live distinctly. I want to live differently. I want to live for your will. The Amplified Bible is a a translation where the author kind of amplifies some of the meanings of some of the words. And the uh, the Amplified version kind of draws out some rich meaning in these first two verses. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh and died for us, Arm yourselves like warriors with the same purpose, being willing to suffer for doing what is right and pleasing God. But whoever has suffered in the flesh, being like-minded with Christ, is done with intentional sin, having stopped pleasing the world so that he can no longer spend the rest of his natural life living for human appetites and desires, but lives for the will of and purposes of God. That's what it means to become a person of resolve, that I have that that warrior mentality, that, that we're in a spiritual battle. In the midst of that spiritual battle, I am going to choose to live for something higher and greater than myself, higher and greater than a momentary pleasure. I'm going to live for the will and the purpose of 
God. And what that looks like, he begins to flesh out. As I become a person of resolve, I'm going to leave human passions behind. I'm going to leave human passions behind. We already looked a little bit at verse 2 in the Amplified, but let me pick it back up in the text. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. He's saying here, listen, it's going to show up. You're going you're going to leave some things behind. If you're going to live for the will of God, there are some things that you're going to purposely leave behind. They no longer have a place in your life. You see, what sin always does, sin always entices and sin always promises. Sin promises freedom. It promises happiness. It promises fulfillment. And yet, one of the New Testament pictures of sin is it's like a baited hook. And while the bait upon first glance looks tempting, there's a hook always on the inside. And while it promises freedom and fulfillment and fun and happiness, it delivers bondage. It delivers misery. It delivers regret. It delivers brokenness. That's the delivery, despite the promise. And to live distinctly, to live as a man or a woman of resolve means... I understand a baited hook. And there's some things I'm going to say no to. There's some things I'm going to leave behind, even if they were a part of my life. And, and, and praise God that he can save us from those things. But say, praise God that he can keep us from those things too, right? Uh, that I, I don't have to walk in those ways. And what a, what a blessing it is to come to know Christ at a young age. And, and God protects you from so many of those things along the way. And so I, I choose, by God's grace, to leave human passions behind. But you also need to consider the cost. Consider the cost if you indeed are going to live God's way. He picks up verse 4. With respect to this, they, some folks that perhaps used to are living that way, maybe you used to run with them. Respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. It says, please understand that when you choose to live God's way in a world that is scarred by sin, in a world that's twisted and distorted, there is a cost. There is a short-term cost. First of all, he says that people are surprised. People are surprised. They're surprised. Why don't you go along? Why don't you do what we do? Why don't you do what you used to do? Why can't you be like everybody else? And there's kind of a shock. They don't quite understand that. Why would you live that way? Why would you choose to do that? Why would you not do that? They're surprised. But what happens eventually over time is that surprise turns to ridicule. It says they're not only surprised, but they will malign. And some of you have experienced that personally. We're certainly experiencing that increasingly in our culture, aren't we? 
It's not only now a sense of, uh, well, that's, I'm surprised you choose to live that way and have that view, but that's okay. No, tolerance we find increasingly in our culture is not a two-way street, right? Increasingly, not only is somebody surprised that you don't go along and to get along, you don't do what everybody else does, you live distinctly and differently, but they begin to, begin to perhaps question. You're bigoted. You're judgmental. You're out of touch. You're on the wrong side of history. Now, on and on and on and it goes. Or you're, 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 you know, you're, you're not going to get in the, the club here. You're not going to be part of this group. And, and there's, there's the surprise, but then it begins to be ridicule, begins to be maligning. And in, in the case of the people that Peter was writing to, there was actual persecution, physical, financial, and other along the way. And so part of living for the will of God is to say, I'm going to consider the cost. Consider the cost for choosing God's way in a world that's oftentimes going the other way. But not only consider the cost, but remember the final accounting. Remember the final accounting. Look at the next couple of verses, verse 5. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. And what Peter is encouraging them, when you're facing persecution, when you're facing suffering, when you're facing people that are even maligning you along the way, that you remember that the final accounting is not at the end of the day. Uh, The final accounting is not just uh, this quarter, but there is a a final accounting that is coming when all of us will give an account of ourselves unto God. The Scripture says it is appointed unto men to die once and then to face judgment. And what Peter reminds us of, for those who are outside of Jesus Christ, for unbelievers, there's judgment. There's judgment for unbelievers. Wait a minute, wait a minute, I thought God was loving. God was gracious, God was kind, God is forgiving. He is absolutely all of those things. But he is also holy. He is also just. And he, he, is, he has told us that there is this, this time, this appointed time of judgment. But not only is there, there judgment for unbelievers, but Peter reminds us there's hope. There's hope through the gospel. There's hope that uh, our sin can be forgiven because of, a, of the life and the death, the suffering, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's hope that I can be forgiven. There's hope that I can be restored to God. There's hope that I can be empowered to live in freedom and, and fulfillment of, of His unique design and calling for my life. There is a hope through the gospel. There's a hope that I can stand before Him by His grace and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And in 
in verse 6 there, he, he talks about uh, preaching even to those who are dead. And, and some have, have taken that to say, well, is there a second chance? No, 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 that's not all what it's talking about. It's talking about he had proclaimed, the gospel had been proclaimed to those who once were living. Now they are dead physically, but they are made alive. They might live in the spirit the way that God does. And, and we're not going to go deep into that. If you get the e-newsletter, if you go to our website, there's even some paper copies out in the lobby this morning, but took some time to put together some material uh, on, on that question of, of did Jesus descend into hell from the last part of chapter 3 and this verse in uh, chapter uh, 4. And so I won't like take all our time this morning and dive into all of those different viewpoints and that, but we have addressed that and want you certainly to go online and access that. Check out the e-newsletter if you're on that e-newsletter list or there's a few paper copies that you can access as well. But remember, remember the final accounting that I have. And as I remember that, as I remember the hope that I have in the gospel, it encourages me to live for God and for his will, even in a world where it might mean suffering. But part of living for the will of God is living for the will of God in the community of the body of Christ, in the church of Jesus Christ. And the essence of what Paul is seeking to, Paul, excuse me, Peter is seeking to communicate here is that a powerful, powerful answer to a world increasing in hostility to the way of God and the people of God is living a life of love and loyalty within the body of Christ. To, to live distinctly in community. It becomes this powerful answer to hostility, to uh, uh, ridicule along the way, that there's something different about the way that people who are followers of Jesus Christ relate to one another. And, and even when the, the New Testament church, even when those early believers were being persecuted for their faith, one of the things that people could not deny is see how they love one another. See how they live radically different. See how they love the least and the lost. That there is something different about the way they live. When the church acts like the world, it dishonors God. It, it, it brings doubt upon the validity of the gospel. But when men and women who belong to Christ live distinctly and differently, particularly with one another, it is a powerful, powerful answer to the hostility and questions that the world may have. And so Peter turns his focus as he talks about living for the will of God to four priorities of living for the will of God within the body of Christ, within the church. And the first priority is to think and live wisely. To think and live wisely. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your 
prayers. Live with this uh, awareness that, that God has, has set things in motion with the coming of Jesus Christ, with the cross of Jesus Christ, with his burial, with his resurrection, with his ascension, with his promise to come again someday, that we are in those last days. These things are, are unfolding, and, and maybe even in our lifetime, but, but even if that doesn't happen, none of us has uh, forever just walking around here, right? I mean, 20, 30, 40, 50. Maybe you get a hundred years. I don't know, but not much more. And in those moments, we have to understand how I live matters. How I live matters. And so the encouragement here is to think and to live wisely. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Be controlled by God's Spirit helping you to exercise control over your actions, over your words, to think clearly, to to, to think God's thoughts after Him, to saturate your mind with the Word of God so that you're increasingly thinking in alignment with the ways of God. And notice, interestingly enough, he makes a connection here with prayer. It makes a connection with prayer. And it's something I think we need to hear because sometimes prayer kind of becomes this real generic thing in terms of all spirituality. And it's just, you know, you, you kind of do this or chant or whatever. But what Peter reminds us of here is how you think and how you live impacts the power, the effectiveness, the connectedness of your praying of your prayer. I can't live any old way I want and expect to have this connection with God. I can't live in in misalignment with God's design for my life. I can't live in disobedience to the commands of God and think then that I can come freely into the presence of God and and have this this, uh, connection and have God move in response to those prayers. No, no, no. Because he's going to want to address the character issues of my life. And so I think and I live wisely, sober-minded and self-controlled. And out of that platform, enabled by his grace, there is a power and a connectedness in my prayer. But not only think and live wisely, but he says love one another. If in the body of Christ, let everyone think and live wisely... But let there be a distinct kind of love. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. There's this calling to a a sincere, a real, a a genuine love. Earnestly has that sense of of something I strive after, that I'm I'm working toward. And, And I'm not doing that in my own strength, but I need God's strength. I mean, let's face it, there are days all of us are hard to love, right? Can we, can you be honest about that? Right? Okay, some of you aren't hard to love. Okay. There are some people in our lives that are hard to love. Those EGR, extra grace required folks, right? We all have them. And in those moments, I need a love beyond my own. I need God's empowerment. I need God's love. And there may may be times where they're just the most appropriate prayers is God, love them through me today. Love them through me today. God, I, I, I don't feel like I've got the strength. I don't even feel like I have the desire. Would you love them through me today? 
love them through me. And that, that doesn't mean it's not sincere, real, genuine. It just means I recognize I need a love greater than myself. Above all, he says, keep, keep loving one another. Keep loving. It is to be continual. It's not just this, this thing I do once in a while, right? But it is this continual pattern of my life. You keep loving one another. I mean, it's not like the, uh, the husband that <laughs> told his wife, I told you I loved you on our wedding day. If anything changes, I'll tell you, right? No, 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 no. That, that's not enough. That's not enough. I mean, it has to be, has to be continual. It's not just like this one-time thing, but, but this love has to be a, a continuing thing. It's not just... Oh, well, I did a loving thing back here. I operated out of love three years ago. No, it has to be the continual pattern of our lives, and love is always relational. It's always relational. Keep loving one another. One another. That there is this connectedness. You know, love, love's a great idea. Until you meet real people, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, love's, love's great in songs. Love, love's great is this concept. Love makes for some great cards. But love is hard sometimes. Because it calls us to relate to real imperfect people. Just like us. Love is not just a theory, it's not just a word, it's not just uh, lyrics in a song. But it's a relationship. A relationship with God and a relationship with others. Continual, relational, but the love he talks about here is also a forgiving love. A forgiving love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Now, don't mishear that. It doesn't say love covers up, right? No, no. Sometimes the most loving thing to do is to address a sin, is to raise a tough subject, is to lean in to a hard conversation. Sometimes the most loving thing to do is say, I love you too much to, to keep watching you chomp down on that bait with a hook inside. Sometimes the most loving thing to do is say, my friend... My brother, my sister in Christ, you were made for more than that. You were made for more than that. So it's not about covering up sin, but it's recognizing that in real world, with real people, we nick each other, we offend each other, we hurt each other, and love has to deal with that. Wayne Grudem puts it this way, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even large ones are overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion, every action liable to misunderstanding, and conflicts abound. Have you ever been in an environment like that? My guess is maybe you've been in in each of those environments. Maybe you've been in an environment. Maybe it's a family setting. Maybe it's a social setting. Maybe it's a work environment. And and have you ever been in one of those where where you just, you're walking on eggshells, right? Because everything is viewed with suspicion. There is a lack of trust. The gap is always filled with suspicion and distrust. Every action is 
liable and almost probable to be misunderstood and misinterpreted. And conflicts abound. And that is not a great place to live, is it? None of us thrives in a work environment like that. None of us thrives in a family environment like that. You can't thrive in a church like that. On the other hand, when our hearts are filled with God's love, small offenses, <laughs> we, don't, we don't sweat them. You know, not a big deal. Maybe you just let it roll off your back or maybe you address it, but you, you don't linger on it. You don't keep pulling it out five years later. You cover it by the grace of God, that same grace that covered your sin. And, and you know people like this. I mean, you know, sometimes people say, well, di- didn't, didn't that upset you? Didn't that offend you? <laughs> I didn't hardly, I didn't notice it. <laughs> I don't know if I'm dumb or what. But, you know, sometimes it's just, man, when your heart's filled with love, you just, you just move on. You just cover those things because you realize how much God's grace has covered your sin along the way. You love one another. You think and live wisely. A third priority for living out God's will in the, in the body of Christ is to practice hospitality joyfully. To practice hospitality joyfully. Look at the next verse, verse 9. Showing hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. Have you, have you noticed that there's some people that they will, they will do something but they will do it grudgingly. They will tell you how hard it is, what an inconvenience it is, how much you have put them out, right? Which just really makes for a warm, loving environment, doesn't it? it says, no, you, you live differently. You live differently. And, and hospitality is not, not just hosting a dinner party here, Okay. Hospitality is a way of life. To be hospitable means to share what God has given to us with others, including our home, our meals, our resources, our very lives. You, you, you know men and women who are stingy. They're stingy with their time. They're stingy with their resources. They're, they're, they're stingy with their food. They're stingy with their knowledge. They're stingy with their resources, their contacts, all those sort of things. And then you know other people, other people who live a life of, of hospitality. I mean, they, they, they understand all that they have is, is given to them by God, and they steward it for a season. And because of that, there, there's an openness to their life. They open their home. They're, they open meals. They open and share resources. They're, they're glad to, to give energy. They're glad to help connect you with somebody. They don't withhold knowledge, but if they have a knowledge, they, they willingly and joyfully share that with you. That's the hospitality that connects us. That's the hospitality that helps us to thrive one with another. That's the hospitality that is to mark the body of Christ. And then a fourth priority is serve one another. Serve one another. Verse 10 and first part of verse 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another 
As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Let's pause right there. A couple of quick observations. Serving, serving one another is to be a hallmark of followers of Jesus Christ, particularly within the body of Christ. And what Peter reminds us of here, every one of us has been gifted. Every one of us has been gifted by God to serve. Now, I get it. All of us at times engage in a little gift envy, don't we? I wish I had that talent. I wish I had that ability. I wish I could do that. But hear me say it again, because some of you have heard me say it time and time again. God knew what he was doing when he made you you. Let that settle in. God knew what he was doing when he made you you. He knew what he was doing when he gave to you the spiritual gifts you have. He knew what he was doing when he gave you the heart passions that you have. He knew what he was doing when he gave you the aptitudes and abilities that you have. He knew what he was doing when he gave you the personality you have, whether you're extroverted or introverted or whether you're an internal processor or external, whatever. God knew what he was doing when he gave you the life experiences that he's given you, work experiences, education experiences, relational experiences, had good experiences, painful experiences, and God takes all of those things and shapes us into the men and the women that he desired and designs us to be so that we can serve one another. And sometimes in in the church, particularly the way that we do it, sometimes we get real narrow as if there's only just like a a few ways, you know. But no, no, no. God can use all sorts of gifts one of my favorite stories that kind of helps, helps me to remember this is a lady that a few years ago, this, she didn't have perhaps the latest technology in cars that make it a little harder to lock your keys in cars now, but she had managed to lock her keys in the car and she actually happened to be in a not the greatest part of town. And so she had heard, you know, you can take a coat hanger and Get it out. And so she had her coat, got a coat hanger, and she was, she was working away, but she was just totally unable to get that car unlocked. And she was worrying, and she was praying, and all those things. And finally, she says, oh, God, God, please, would you send somebody to help me? About that time, this big old burly, rough-looking guy rides up on a motorcycle. And, I mean, he's the epitome of what you might picture. I mean, he has the outfit, right? He has the look. He has the the skull scarf. He has tats all over, right? And he comes up and says, what's the problem? So I locked my keys in the car. He said, give me the coat hanger. She dutifully hands it over. This takes him a few seconds. He whips it in there, pop, opens the door and lets her in. She's just overwhelmed. She says, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, 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 you are such a nice man. And she goes up and she hugs this big old burly guy. And he says, ma'am, ma'am, I'm not a nice man. So in fact is, I just got out of prison a few hours ago for Grand Theft Auto. 
She looked to the heavens and said, praise God, he sent me a professional. <laughs> Listen, you don't know. You don't know what God will use, right? You don't know. And there may be some things in your life and you say, I don't know, God will never use that. It may be exactly what God will use to touch somebody else's life. God has gifted you intentionally to steward various expressions of his grace. And Paul, Peter kind of sums up in, in two broad categories in this verse. He talks about speaking gifts and serving gifts. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. Speaking gifts. And if, if God has entrusted you with those, then speak as speaking the oracles of God. I mean, take that very, very seriously. And if you serve, serve diligently. Serve all out. Serve with the strength that God provides. Can I remind you and I remind you sometimes in the church, the way we do church, like if you're on a platform like this, somehow it's like, well, that must be, that must be more important. Can I remind you what the Bible says? The Bible says those gifts in the body, those parts of the body, sometimes get the least attention, are the most important. Those gifts that maybe get the least amount of platform time, <laughs> can be the most important. Don't devalue what God has built into your life. Just, God, how can I use it? How can I serve with the strength that you provide? And let me just, let me just give one other word to, to, to some, because on a Father's Day, sometimes have folks visiting with family and stuff. And, and hear, hear my heart on this. I, I, I'm an observer of Christianity as it's practiced in, in North America particularly. And there are things that are exciting and things that are troubling. One of the troubling things for me is this, this, this almost consumer mentality that has settled in and taken serious root. And it has people moving from place to place. It has people saying, I'm a part of three or four churches. And I, I go over here and I, I consume this content here. And then I go over here and consume this content here. And I do this. And that. God's picture was of a community. A community of connected followers who love one another. Who serve one another. Who are vitally connected, who practice hospitality toward one another, who hold one another lovingly accountable to think and to live wisely. And I, 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 my thought is, wherever God wants you to be, if, as long as it is a church that is truly teaching the Word of God as the Word of God, then get in. But wherever God puts you, get in and go all out. Get all in and go all out. That, that wherever that is, wherever God has connected you, because there is no such thing as a perfect church. But can we stop treating the bride of Christ like a restaurant. What do you feel like this week? Let's, let's go over here and get to, well, let's, let's go for some Italian today. Well, let's, let's, we're not consumers. We're contributors. We're part of the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Get all in and go all out wherever, ever God has placed you. 
Living for the will of God means living for his will in the midst of suffering. Living for his will within the body of Christ. But Peter kind of wraps up this section of the letter by answering the question, why? Why live for the will of God? Why live for the will of God? To bring glory to God, for he is worthy. To bring glory to God because he is worthy. Look at the last part of verse 11. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Yes, there are, there are lots of reasons. There are multiple reasons for living for God's will. If you've been around here for a while, you've probably heard me say, I am convinced to the core of my being that my life works best when it's aligned with God's design. I am really convinced to the core of my being that living for God's will, living surrender to God's will is not only the only way you want to face death, but it's really the best way you want to live. I am convinced that's the core of my being. But the highest and the greatest motivation is not for what it brings into my life, but it's because he's worthy. He's worthy. And because he's worthy, I want my life to bring him honor and to bring him glory. And you see that again and again in the New Testament. Paul said, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. It's not just when I have a quiet time thing, but it's in everything that I do and all the facets of my life, my home life, my recreational life, my vocational life, on and on and on it goes. My thinking, my words, my actions, how I, I steward my stuff, how I steward my health, everything I can do for and to the glory of God. As Paul said to the Romans, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. He created it all, including you and I. It is all from him and through him. It is all for him. To him be the glory forever. And when God designed you, he gave you a will. He gave you a will. And I am convinced that he is delighted when we use them. But what we learn is that even though willpower can do some amazing things, particularly in short bursts, it is limited. Because our wills were made ultimately to surrender to God. That's why one of the key steps in the 12-step, any sort of recovery program, is the surrender of the will. Make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. To surrender our will to one who is greater, to a strength that is greater than willpower. And so the last question is, am I willing or am I willful? Am I willing or am I willful? Any parent of a two-year-old understands willful, right? <laughs> right? Willful looks like a clenched fist. Willful says, I'll do it my way. Willful says, no. 
Willful says, I don't care what you want. I don't care what you ask. I am doing this. I am going to do it my way. That's willful. But before we get too many eyes cut toward our kids, a lot of us big folks approach God with a clenched fist. Oh, we've learned to polish the language a little bit. But our fist is clenched nonetheless. I know it says that in your word, but my situation is unique. I, I, I know, but, but the circumstances are different. Yes, but you got to enjoy life. Whenever I come to God and say, yes, but, it's usually with a clenched fist, isn't it? Willful looks like a clenched fist. Willing looks like palms up. Willing says, God, everything that I have, whether material or life experiences, whether giftedness, aptitudes, abilities, good gracious, the opportunities we've been afforded in this country. Oh, my goodness. God, it all comes from you. The beat of my heart, the breath of my lungs, it all comes from you. And so, God, I come palms up. I'm aware of my desires. And there are times those are perfectly aligned with God's desire. There are times they're not. And those times, I just come with palms open. And I surrender them if need be. I take ego off the throne. I decide today I'm not going to live as God for a day. And I come and say, not my will, but your will be done. And isn't that what Jesus modeled for us in the garden? In the intensity of that moment, as he was facing the cross and all that it represented, the unleashing of the wrath of a holy God against sin. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass before me. Nevertheless, not my will but your will be done. God gave you a will. He's delighted when you use it. The question is, will it be willful or will it be willing? With all apologies to Frank Sinatra, there's a better way to live than doing it my way. The best way to live is to do it his way. Let's pray together, please. Oh, Father, thank you that you're not finished with any of us yet. Father, the fact that we're in this room right here, right now, the fact that we're still breathing, the fact that we're still living is indication 
that you're not done with us yet. And we thank you and we praise you for that today. And, and Father, I just, uh, just ask, even in these moments, Lord, as we're before you, Lord, would you just graciously with your spirit continue to work in us? And Lord, would you show us where we have approached you with fists clenched, where we have said, I'll do it my way. Would you, Father, help us to, by your enabling spirit, to open up our fist and to extend a palm wide open to you? Would you teach us anew and afresh to say, I want to do it your way? And I'm just going to ask you right now just to maintain an attitude of prayer. And, and even this morning is as a posture exercise, can I just encourage you just to sit with your palms turned upward? Maybe you just want to lay them on your lap or extend them out however it's comfortable for you. But just take these next couple minutes and just sit before the Lord as an expression of your openness with your palms up. Just tell Him you're willing to be made willing. (laughs) Ask him to show you any area of your life where you've got a clenched fist instead of an open heart and mind. Ask him to, in his love, to reveal any area of your life where you're doing it your way. And he's asking you to trust him and do it his way. Perhaps part of the moments this morning is just even an affirmation to say, God, help me to just just be affirmed in those areas where I have come with open palms, where my desires are aligned with yours. Where there is no gap between his way and your way. As you continue just to sit before the Lord, I want to let you know that after the close of our service, we want to come alongside you as the body of Christ, as a community. That's why we have a next steps area in the back of our worship space. And there'll be some folks there hanging around some of the tables there. And we want to help you take that next step. Whatever that next step is, whatever that next step into to full release into God's will is. Maybe today you're here and, and, and you know you need the freedom and the forgiveness that's only found in Jesus Christ. We would be delighted to talk to you about that. Maybe your next step is to go public with your faith in the waters of baptism. Maybe your next step is to formally kind of plant your flag in this fellowship and say, this is, this is the place where God wants me to invest my life for the king and the kingdom. Maybe your next step is, is to, to gather with others in a group and you haven't yet connected to a group and, and go to the next step area and we can help kind of point you to some groups that you can begin to check out. Maybe your next step is to say, hey, it's, it's time for me to give. It's time for me to, to, to give of myself and the way that God has gifted me and, and I want to serve. 
Or maybe part of your next step is to say, I want to go. I want to go with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'd be glad to talk to you about some opportunities to take any of those next steps. Make your way there after the close of our service. If you're a guest with us here today, I'd love to have a chance to meet you before you take off. I'm going to head back toward that next steps area as well. Please come by. I'd love to have a chance to meet you before you take off. But as we draw this time of formal worship to a close, I want to pray over you, then we're going to stand and we're going to give praise to the one who is worthy one last time. Father, this week, every day, multiple times throughout the day, we're going to be faced with a choice. Would you speak? Would you enable? Would you empower us to choose the greater way, the higher way, to choose your way? Father, free us to live as the people you designed us and desire us to be, to your glory, to your honor, and to your praise. We pray this through the name of the one who makes it all possible, Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen.